Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 93 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Eric Tobin from Hopeless Records. Tobin and I met during my days at Equal Vision Records and have since crossed paths many times over the years. It was high time to have a chat. Recently on the roof of my work during lunch, Tobin and I talked about his history in the business. What was really great about this episode was it touches on many things young and old bands ask about all the time. It's a truly deep look into the thoughts and actions of an independent label that's doing some big things. It's our little version of This Could Be Your Life. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so a few ways. You can support on our Patreon page, buy merch at our Threadless store, or leave a nice, nice review on iTunes. One final note, there is sound from New York City in this one. I recorded it outside so you will hear some street noise, some sirens, normal things that I don't even realize are noise. This is episode 93 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Eric Tobin from Hopeless Records. And we're here. Great. Eric Tobin. <laughs> Hopeless Records. At the, uh, the top of the world here. We are. Yeah, at the Sony building here. At the, it's quite bright. I wish I brought my sunglasses. I was afraid of looking too LA in New York. This is during my lunch break. I'd like to yep. say as well, we're having lunch. This Great is a lunch, lunch meeting. I had a juice lunch. I'm, juice on, a, lunch. I'm on a liquid <laughs> diet. Yeah. Very LA yeah, of you. Very LA, yeah. Of course. I'm trying to look slim. It's... Uh, it's hard to find a mate out there if you don't look slim. No. Yeah, it's tough, tough. But this is this is nice. I haven't been mugged at all. Great. As uh, my mother had warned me if I came to New York. <laughs> I tried to get a fake ID, and I didn't get mugged this time. I was okay, disappointed. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Times Square is so different these days. <laughs> it is. It's not the 80s anymore. It's not. The uh, You are at Hopeless Records. I am. And you've been there for how long? 11 years now. I've been there wow. for 11 years and some change at Hopeless. Started in 2005. Yeah, and so. that's when. Where were you before that? Uh, before that, I was doing um, tour management, production, merch, whatever would keep me uh, on the road as much as possible. I worked for um, a band called Hopes Fall for a couple of years. Uh, I worked for this band, Countless Stars, that was on Victory Records for a long time, and then had some in betweens. I did Warp Tour for a clothing company. Um, years ago, I worked for a live sound and recording company. I did a tour of Disco Biscuits, which was interesting. You know, a lot of hippies. A lot of hippies. Yeah, very smelly experience. Great yeah. guys, weird fans. Um, and I worked in studios before that in the uh, the nineties. The my, sun is the out. The sun is out. All of a sudden, I uh, and my <laughs> vampire like qualities, I'm burning up. Do you want to move to the the shade? Um, ah, 
It's it's up to you. No, You're from LA. Yeah. This is this is your that you see this a lot more I see than this me. A lot. Yeah, I do. It's uh, it's good though. <laughs> it's good. I though I work in Van Nuys, so uh, uh, we we see not a lot of sun in our in our industrial sheds up there. <clears throat> so you know, indie labels got to get into those great buildings. But eleven years have you transitioned? I mean, how many things have you uh, jobs over the years? I mean, at e- Equal Vision, I did. Six, I think, at one time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the really nice part about being there 11 years is I came in at the same time, really, as um, Ian, who's our VP of marketing, and Aaron, who's our um, uh, runs our production uh, at the company, and we really sort of got to come up together with a few people, and so we all shared a lot of different jobs. But my initial hire, um, a little bit of backstory, is that I met this guy Dave Shapiro, and I, I don't know if he's been on the podcast he is not not. but dave is an agent at uta and and i met dave when he was in high school he won a battle of the bands by the studio i worked at uh had offered free recording time to this high school for their battle of the bands which was uh i'm I'm sure maybe some listeners have had this experience of playing in a loud and cantankerous uh (laughs) gymnasium and i went there and i met this guy dave and uh his band was uh, sort of like a third eye blind cover band it was really good actually and uh they won i gave him several hours of free recording time and and then i really liked dave and the band so i gave him a lot more for free uh you know overnight where i could get a little time wouldn't get fired for giving out free time and uh, dave and i became friends and so i ended up touring with his band count the stars for a long time and we've stayed best friends and he came to california before me and asked me to move out there and i'd really been resisting it i was uh, afraid of california being a, a new englander and uh um but he finally convinced me to come out there. We moved in together, and I was uh, working at Starbucks. That's the only job I could get after five years of touring, which was a great job in the way that it uh, had taught me that, one, I am not really anything, and <laughs> two, uh, have some humility, asshole. And um, and they also give you a lot of free uh, Rice Krispie treats. They do. Yeah, I love those. Free coffee. Uh, and so, uh, Lewis... My, the president of the company had called Dave because Dave was the in-house agent at Equal Vision at the time, as you remember, to book our bands. And Dave said, you know, I can't do that right now, but you should talk to my roommate, Eric. And I got the interview. So I was hired as the in-house booking agent ah. at Hopeless Records. So Dave and I shared an office in San Diego, uh, which was fun. We basically kicked Dave out of his bedroom and put him in a smaller room, and we set up an office with two desks, space for an assistant, a couple I interns. I think I was at that house. Yeah, it was, in, it was in Hillcrest in San Diego. Yes. I'm pretty sure you were there. We had like I a little think... couch upstairs, and yes. we'd watch 24 all day long and, and yes. take phone calls. I remember the living room very well. We, we put on way too many parties and destroyed that place, unfortunately. Nice apartment, quite killed by us. Um but it was awesome. I mean, it was great to work with Dave at the time because I was, you know, not working at the Hopeless office, which was different for Hopeless. But in a lot of ways, it, being in San Diego, there was really nobody else down there. So the bands would come through. I was doing sound at clubs at night. And we were inviting them back. You actually got to hang because New York, L.A., mm-hmm. San Francisco, Chicago, they're doing shit. Yeah. You got press. You got other people in town. It was nobody. So if you're in those other markets, there's always tickets. Yeah. And you can hang. And they want to hang. They do, and they need a place to stay. Typically, like with the clubs I was working in, they were coming back to the house, and we were—I was cooking for them every day, and we were doing breakfast, and I was really using the Starbucks money and the club money to pay for the breakfast, lunches, and dinners for bands, and to travel, you know, at the time back and forth to uh, shows in New York. And it was—it was an amazing time because I had been on the road for so many years. I had a lot of friends that were still mm-hmm. touring, and David did as well. So we were able to to really have this amazing relationship with the artists and and have a good time it it was it was 
I, I'm, I'm running out of words because I'm so fond of it. I'm getting well, what's emotional. Inter- what's interesting is what I think is important is that you took a leap and you were doing something and you didn't think it was going in the right place, but you still were meeting with people and you were still, it wasn't like there's this just tendency of, well, give me a job. Mm-hmm. Well, this yeah. is, no, you have to get in it and also meet with the right people and take a leap. You yeah. took a leap. No, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, and I think that it was a job that didn't exist at Hopeless before. You know, I didn't expect to make some huge salary. I mean, you know, I really felt the company had had a couple successes with, you know, uh, you know, Avenge Sevenfold and Thrice, and we're sort of coming into a new era of the label. Yeah, definitely. And, and for me, I had really never had a desk job, you know, and I really wanted to, you know, my brother had moved to California as well, and, and we, my brother and I had this sort of pact, like, we're going to actually have a life. We're going to make a life, so let's pay attention and do something great. And it, it did need a leap, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. But the, um, the apartment didn't cost much, so I used all the cash I had to entertain and to fly places. And I almost got fired from Starbucks a couple times for not showing up to go to, like, Fresno Warp Tour because Fresno, so dope. Because you got to be in you Fresno. you got to be in Fresno, man. That's, that's where you're really going to make Quick the, pro tip. If you go in Fresno, mm-hmm. give me or Eric Tobin a call. We'll help you get out. We'll help you get out. Yes, seriously. Stockton, Modesto, we're here for you. We have a hotline. <laughs> Please get out of the Inland Empire. Don't hurt yourself. Modesto. Um, <laughs> Uh, so sad. It's going to make me cry. Uh, no, it really was. Like, I got to tell you, like, having the parties and having the events, and, and it really drew in people that we didn't know. And that's how I met Mike Kaminsky, who I, you know, I'm still living with. And, um, and this guy, Brian, who we moved into the house, who'd been on tour. And we, we really just kept it open as sort of a hostel for our friends to be at. And it was always, you know, it was a little wild there in some ways. But you really, like, my goal in a lot of ways, yes, I wanted to have a great job and I wanted to have a great life. But part of my goal has always been to surround myself with with people I don't uh, and, and sort of their lives and what they're up to and I want to see them succeed and I, I'm not success for me um, uh, you know I of course want to pay my bills I want to have a great used car uh, possibly have you know the best H&M clothes I can have you know that's that sounds nice uh, but I really want to be that's surrounded by great right people yeah no you look we look the same today <laughs> did you call ahead um, so uh, it was it was an idea of like I can live with a lot of people. I can have people coming here. I can be cooking. We can be talking. We can be going over books and movies. And that, to me, felt like a real amazing life, you know, to be sort of surrounded by artists and, and uh, at whatever level. And so we started that in San Diego. And, and, it, and it had some, some actual real costs, you know, which was paying for that and damages and everything else. But it helped to sort of have these relationships with people where instead of just being like, hey, I need my band on your tour, it was more about their lives and who they you know hey how's your girlfriend or your boyfriend or what are you reading or you know what do you think about this and and there was a time for business but mostly a time for just personal connection which is to me really important and i i don't think that's the fast track in any way sense or means but i i do think that there doesn't need to be a fast track i don't intend to be dead soon those things are more meaningful and it's i mean i i've always tried to do that i learned a lot of that from my my parents Mm -hmm. where you I mean, if I know you like X thing, I'm going to shoot you a note. Not yeah. because I want to get in with you. It's because you like it. Yeah, that's and it. And I want to... And later on, let's say there's an art, a disagreement and something happens, but we've had that 
deeper thing where we can probably talk it out easier instead yeah. of us having a shallow relationship of just exactly. emailing us for things. That, that's it. And I think that having a discourse with people is, is good. I mean, like, we don't have to agree on everything, but we have to understand that we mutually care for each other, you know, and... Uh, we're, we're, we're going for the right... We want the same thing, but yeah, we're just... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's... And like we were just talking about before we got on here, I'm not from a small town, but I'm from an area that is... It is smaller than where I'm at now, you know, and I think that that idea of of sort of family and friends and, um, you know, the fireman's barbecue and the parade through town and so-and-so winning such football game and yeah. not that I'm a sports person, but all that sort it's of... a big deal. That, that sort of um, uh, idea, that sort of feeling is, is super important. I like to embrace that in what I do, you know, and I think that for me it's been more about those relationships and uh you know because i've had people say you're a really great salesman i said i don't i've never really sold a lot of things but i've always had a really nice time meeting and hanging out with people and keeping in touch with them and cycling you know and, and how have you been oh we haven't talked in three years let's just get right back off yeah. to where we started and and being in san diego with with dave especially that was really both our goals you know and dave still being my best friend for 17 years it was just to surround ourselves with with people you know to feel good about this you know and that doesn't mean that every day is a joy there are uh, different people think different ways, but I think we, hopefully, we've, we've we've been able to prove that we've kept that, you know. And so the in-house booking was that first job, and this and and part of the job was just to me was, hey, I, I work at Hopeless. Uh, I think at the time people knew the label, but didn't really. It wasn't a top list like let's run over there and and sign. And I think felt like there was a lot of opportunity and, and Lewis is an incredible uh, boss and an incredible talk a little owner. bit about Lewis for if, if people don't know yeah so Lewis is the the, the owner of, of Hopeless he started it when he was very young you know almost 25 years ago now out of wow. his garage and um, uh, if you don't know Lewis is visually impaired and I, and I think that's that's part of what has you know I mean he was a good guy to start but I think a lot of that is he got into running the label because of that and you can read more of this story at, at the website um but uh, not only an incredible businessman, but uh, a very charitable human being. And I think that partly, you know, I've heard people say, you've been at a, an indie label for 11 years. How? How do you? How come you haven't left? And I, I think that the, the character and culture of the label matches some of the things I just said. And I think that it's still a business. I mean, you know? those hopeless comps, those things were... Yeah, they, people, are, they defined those, an era in yeah. some ways. You know, they really did. And I think those early punk rock days, and it's, you know, uh, Lewis is a man of, of deep principle, and I think that's why the company has been has been growing slowly and getting larger. And, and like I said, being there, uh, I just feel like I fit there. And even from the beginning, it was, I think I can really grow here. And I think Lewis is a great mentor. And, um, you know, I've been able to grow into that. And, and uh, he, he's excessively thoughtful when you want to hey you know I want to go see something wrong on vacation or hey I have a medical issue and he's he wants us to be the best people we can be first and then help the company become great as part of that and I think that he, he's been really great about that and that's um, and that for me is, is is what I need that's part of that like the success that I want is is that you know I want that to feel good from that initial job Obviously, you weren't going to do that forever. I think people Thank would God. love to know, like, yeah, yeah, seriously. I was really quite bad at it. <laughs> how did you How did you take that first job? How did you take that first opportunity and build on it? I think people would want to kind of... Yeah. Because you, you, you sit that first week at your job and you're like, I don't want to do... I want to do that guy. I want to be... And you have mm-hmm. to be patient. And I think... I'm not saying... Everyone has a different path, mm-hmm. but I think at this indie label route, it's you really can make a path for mm-hmm. yourself. You can, and I and I can't say like when I sat down, I didn't say you know I've had we've had plenty of interns where people have asked like how do you get an A and R job, and I don't think I sat down and said I'd like to be an A and R man. I 
you know, it, coming up to that, up five years of touring, all I'd ever heard about A&R people was that they were the worst human beings, and the word held some sort of like... And you get fired strength. really fast. You get fired really fast, and, it, and, it, and we didn't even really have an A&R position in Hopeless. We never really had that, and um, I just wanted to be good at whatever job I had, and, and I had never been a booking agent, and luckily I had Dave, who'd already been doing it for a year and a half, and he's like, well, here's, how you, here's some of the basics, and I'd been tour managing, so I knew, so I called some of the agents I knew, you know, some people like Nick Storch and people I'd worked for, and and asked for some systems. I sat at a, you know, a, a, a card table in my kitchen on a wooden chair that I, um, I sat on that wooden chair so much I got a callus on my ass. I'm not even joking wow. about that. Yeah, it's. We'll put up the photo on the site. Yeah, everybody. later on. Yeah, that'll be really exciting for your listeners. <laughs> Just threw up thinking about it. Uh, you know, but I was getting up at like six. I was so nervous because I really wanted to prove something and. And so here I'm building these. I, I time. Remember Polestar used to have like all yes. the contacts. I made this long list of yeah. every band I knew, and then added all their managers and all their agents. And I just went right down the list and started emailing every single one of them with a status and who was going to hit me back. And I, I thought, well, I'm just going to do this until people start hitting me back and say, I'd like to meet with you. And you know, I, that um, must. I wish I could find that grid. It was like 153 lines long, and I just went right down the list, emailing everybody and waited for return emails. And I went, you know, and called all of our bands and got to know them. We didn't, you know, the bands we had were small and a little unknown. But it was great. You know, and the first people, I always say this to, to Jillian Newman and Michelle Abram, who were some of the, the first two people to ever really hit me back and take a meeting with me. And I've had Michelle's such a long, great. Yeah, I've had such a long and wonderful relationship with both of them. But, and just uh, to quickly tell you, both, both of them are managers. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, Yeah, Jillian manages Taking Back Sunday. Michelle manages Pierce the Veil. And, and, um, but it, it was that beginning of that community thing. Like I really just was excited about doing anything, being part of music. It wasn't about a job I wanted. It was about doing great. And I, I don't think I was the best agent. I think a lot of the promoters who liked me as a person uh, were sadly um, paying money for bands that were never going to draw at the time. But, um, you know, my role was not really to be an agent. It was to get agents for the band. So it was book them until you can find them an agent or get them a manager. And so I started really reaching out and meeting with people and paying for trips to go to New York and paying for trips to go to Seattle and really meet these managers. And that helped me create a lot of great relationships. And I think, you know, we were doing Take Action Tour, which which we still do, um, which is a charity tour, part of Subsidy. And, and for those who don't know Subsidy, it is our charitable arm. We all work at Subsidy. It's a 501c3. And um, it's it's a way for us to connect um, bands, fans with the, the charities that they love and, and, and cherish. And we give, you know, a percentage of sales, whether ticket sales take action or CDs, a uh, band will give half from their royalty. We would, half the other, we would match the other half out of our pocket. We've raised... I believe it's over two and a half million for 70 charities and so take action tour was a part of that and you know at the time lewis said well you're you know you're doing touring why don't you handle event stuff and handle the sponsorship part of it you know go get sponsors for the tour and go handle the tour managers and go handle the events part of it and go handle the ticketing for that uh and that was great because it really supplemented the job for me and so i got into doing that and um i was going very well and, and, and after a while what i got best at was i believe finding the band's agents the agents started to believe in what we were doing mm-hmm. And so I'd get a band and I'd book them for a little bit and then they'd get an agent. And then I really didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do at that point, you know, and I was still working out of San Diego and, and our, at the time our sales guy left and Lewis was looking to hire a salesperson and he came to me and said, would you like to try that? And I said, I've never done sales. Um, I don't even know what it is. I, I had an idea of the word co-op, but it, it uh, I, from going shopping at the yeah, co-op. Yeah, it meant like getting, yeah, like it was like vegetables. The, yeah, yeah, bananas. Bananas, yeah. So I thought, I'm going to be a banana salesman. which <laughs> Or I have to work at the co-op. That's yes. what I always think of, like, oh, well, i got to do my shift. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we own a co-op, and uh, I worked the produce <laughs> section for several years. It was a good lead-up to now. I have, if you want to know different types of kale, I'm your man. Um, 
Yeah, so I, you know, he's like, but you have to move up to LA, and it was, and it was kind of an interesting timing because Shapiro had Velocity, and he was bought out by the agency group. So he was moving to LA. We had met Mike Kaminsky, who's a manager, and he said, "Hey, I, I'm moving out of my apartment. We'd love to move in together." And um, there was an, another girl, Janelle, at the time, just a couple roommates, and we went looking for a house. And we found this beautiful house in Silver Lake, but it was too expensive for us because we all were making very little at the time. And we said, oh, we're going to pass on it. And uh, this house is important to the whole story. But uh, um, we went looking around. Couldn't find anything. And we're, fuck, we should have got that first house. We went back and just, for whatever reason, the family that had moved in lost their job, moved down. The landlord was like, I need to rent this no right shit. now. And he lowered the rent by $400 and gave us the back room, which he said he wasn't going to give us. And we moved five of us into that house. And this, which you've been to that house, and yeah. a giant backyard. And at the time, Beautiful. Silver Lake was nice, but no, not when great. I parked, it was. I'm going to make sure I know where this car. Yeah, is. I mean, so it's gotten a lot better. Obviously, it's, yes. it's got its. It's the you know Echo Silver Lake is the Williamsburg of that yes. area. So, but the house was great, and we saw it as an opportunity right away. We're like, we need to use this house for full potential, and we started a poker night on Wednesday, and we started a dinner night twice a month, and we the dinner night doing, photos were great. Yeah, no, it was fine. Yeah. We started doing parties in the backyard. At first, there were ragers. You know, we're doing like six of these where the house is getting totally trashed. But the idea was between. Uh, a core group, which is Brian Robillard and Brandon Chamberlain, and, and I'm sorry, I'm dropping names that don't matter maybe to you guys, but they do intensely to me, you know, Mike and Dave. And through our jobs, we'd meet people and say, do you, do you like poker? you got to play poker with us. We made this huge poker list, and it turned into, let's do parties with it, and let's, if you have a band to promote, let's do that. And it was, again, the idea was the house was, let's host, we were hosting five, six bands a month there. You know, we were hosting travelers, writers, anybody we could, and cooking dinner, and it just turned into this, house where to this day we've had 34 roommates there we've had 80 plus people who stayed there from a week to six weeks as far as guests go we're well over 600 people i mean we i built this huge poster board of all the postcards that come in and it's just we've had this beautiful um awesome house this casa de awesome i guess that we've just been able to have as a stopping ground to come and stay and i've had so many bands there stay there the years and that again was to me that was the real success was to have this great big family of people and that that was not just for hopeless i mean i've hosted bands from every label you know and managers and other label people and i you know we've we've seen um people that we showed up and needed to sleep on our couch for a week while they did business turn into incredibly successful people um that way more intelligent than i ever was and and just to become these amazing people and we've been lucky to host them you know and be a part of that story and and to me that's so important and so moving to la we got that house and lewis put me into the sales role and and was going to train me and um and it was intense. It was a lot to learn. It was a lot of accounts. I was still when you had Circuit City and Tower, and you know, which changed quite quickly after yeah. I started. Um, you know, and three months into that, Lewis said, "You know, sales is a worldwide thing. You need to do international." I said, "Oh, I don't know that." He goes, "Well, I'm sending you to meet him." Oh my god! I said, "Okay," and and you know, Al said, "I'll give you the paperwork." And Al, our CFO, brought over this like four-inch thick folder of just papers and receipts. He's like, "Here, just read these, and you'll get it." I was like, "Oh no," and. Uh, I just thought I needed to book as many meetings. Like, go to London for a couple days, meet the distro, go to France, go to Germany, meet everybody. So I had this 12-day trip, and I booked meetings from 9 in the morning until I was uh, 26 then. And um, I booked all these meetings. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I just was going to go wing it out there and meet people. And uh, I took a lot of these, like, mobile aggregators of aggregators meetings. Oh, my Lord. Scottish mobile aggregator. I aggregate for another aggregator who aggregates ringtones. And I was like, okay, and I'm writing stuff down. I had, like... 20 pages and meanwhile i'm staying up till three every night trying to get uh, 
in the parties and I got super sick. I had a 104 degree fever on my third day there and I was so nervous. Like, I can't fuck this up. Yeah. So I was going to meetings with a ring of sweat around my shirt and people, I remember I met with the guy at, at Apple at the time and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, just <laughs> ridiculous. But, you know, I made it, you know, and I, I just, at the time, couldn't, couldn't call and mobile phones were like, you had to get a, uh, a calling card and, and it was, you know, we had not set up our digital overseas yet. We had some basic distribution and it was really tasked to me to, figure this out and bring on a staff you know like go meet people and make this better and um and that was amazing you know on the international side because now we have uh you know we have staff members in london milan mexico city rio toronto melbourne uh tokyo and singapore you know we have a really big staff and it's almost almost 40 percent of our total revenue is is international i mean all-time low had a number one in the uk neck deep and moose would have had top tens there i mean you well know, that's I, the other thing i think to remind everybody is that international part that you think you know you're big in the u.s or you're big in the east coast you know tackle england then tackle yeah. germany then tackle France, mm-hmm. then Australia, like hit up because these places are all, yeah. they act differently. They have different places that are, you know, you do this, you do that for them. It's, it's but, all, it's almost like you're doing different marketing plans for each. It is. And I, I think what we saw when I, when I was visiting with the distributors early, it was like, well, you need to just tour here. You need to have a publicist. And I, and I you know, first you're frustrated by it, but then you start to realize that, you know, you, you grew up here in America and you feel like, oh, it works the same way everywhere. And the basics do. Structurally, yes. it's the same. But culturally, it's very different. And Culturally, that, that's the word I was thinking of. It's like yeah. the things are culturally different. And a lot of things always got there late. And so you, sometimes you'll see that there's waves later. But, but you'll find that they're, the most important thing for any artist that we sign is that, you know, we're doing a worldwide deal. And, and even if there's only three fans in Singapore, we should speak to those fans in the same way we speak to the fans here. Because those three fans should have the opportunity to be a part of it in the way that they want to be and be excited. Because some people are going to lean more Western, you know, like they're really studied and that's their thing. And some people are going to discover it the way they do. I mean, for example, printed press has really slowed down here in the U.S. incredibly. But in the U.K. and in UK and Europe, it's it's giant. You can develop a band on press there and on a story. And, and I think some U.S. artists are always surprised by this and vice versa. I mean, we have, we have five U.K. artists. They're surprised at how little press <laughs> there is to do in the I U.S. They're like, what press like, are you doing? And I'm like, they're like, as I'm much as we York, can. Um, free. <laughs> it is. It's interesting because we're like, well, a lot of what we do is so, you know, and, and again, for, for Hopeless as an Indian, I'm sure that your listeners know that, you know, our, our we're face first on fans and touring versus radio and yes. singles. And so the development comes in the, the idea, you know, the idea of the artist and what it means for someone else's lives. We can never forget this is that, you know, the, the way I grew up on music is that the way I assume our, our fans are growing up on music is that I need something in my life. You know, like I, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends, right? And that wasn't, I would love to have had friends or I'd love to have been cool. And I met some kids that were into punk rock and, you know, I, they knew all these bands and I, I didn't know any. And so I got a maximum rock and roll and memorized all the reviews so I could go and sit and have a conversation. I don't think I'd listen to half the bands, but it was just so important to be a part of the conversation. And, I, and I'm not embarrassed by the fact that I didn't listen to the bands. I just wanted to be part of something larger than myself. I wanted to be, I didn't want to be that alone kid that, you know, for those uh, on podcast, I'm disabled. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in the hospital as a kid. So you come into high school and you're pretty alone. And I think that, I think that music for me, like, it really solved that. And music as the conversation, this world of like, so-and-so did this and he's in this band now. And do you know who plays this? And oh, you don't listen to that? Or you know that seven inch? You didn't go to that show? Like, that conversation is challenging and competitive and exciting. 
And you also got to meet girls, which was exciting for me, too, because that was a priority at 15 for me, even though it wasn't working well, you know. But, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest, you yeah, know. Like, there's no reason not to be. And I think that, for me, I never forget that. Even at now at 37, it's, it's important to think that this, the idea of the music we work in, it's not just a money factory of just signing stuff and throwing it against the wall. I mean, it's, it's still a business. There's finances. We don't always get to win with every artist. But the idea is that that fan at the barricade or that person who shows up, that conversation is important to their personal politics. And um, I think when you speak culturally, you know, how someone accepts that here is similar but different in other places. And I do think you can't... Yes, a lot of territories speak English now, but I do think that local language is important. I don't think we should be around the world pretending that you know, can only speak in, in English. And, you know, some of the people who have worked for us do a lot of local language social media. And, and we, want, we want fans to be a part of this because it comes to them in the way that they need it. You know, because I do believe... And if they have to work is, at it, they're gone. Well, th- that's it. And, and again, because we don't know how sometimes to work on our needs in a certain age space. And we just need to feel accepted or a part of something. And we want people to have that path of least resistance to be with these artists we believe can make that difference for them. Maybe it sounds esoteric, maybe it sounds pretentious, I have no idea, but I, I, I truly believe that that's, that's part of what we do. We're here to be something for someone. Because, you know, a lot of the music we do, like, I'll meet, meet someone, I say, oh yeah, I work on all the time long ago, I used to listen to them. And I think a lot of times people say, that, that seems um, offensive, but I said, no, there was a time, you know, when someone was there and loved that, and that was for them. Some people stay and some people go. We're, we're just, we get to be part of people's lives uh, in a way that I don't think can be written down or can you know even mm-hmm. be more detailed than this, and I think that's super important. That's 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 part of why I continue to do this. You know, I I, I think that this is can be a, as you know can be a very tough uh, business because there's no rules. A lot of people make up rules. They change. You have to be involved in them. You have to listen. You have to. You're always on the clock. You're always working. This becomes your life. Your social life is the music, and mm-hmm. um, and that can be frustrating when you wake up one day and say wow, will I be relevant at 46? You know, will I still be part of this? And, and, and I think I can be, but the important part for me is to remember that this, this can be a little bit bigger than me, and that's why I like being there. You know, I like to go through the ups and downs. You know, like, hey, if there's a band that, that's not doing well and we have to deliver negative news, that's heartbreaking for me. Um, and I sometimes want to just hide under the covers for four days after it. You know, it's, it's very emotional for me. And but I hope that by continuing on, it is we are going to make and do something meaningful, even for those people's lives. And uh, what do you think bands should be doing? I mean, no, what what bands? I've had times where a band gets signed to Equal Vision, and they instantly thought they were going to be huge. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. almost as if you know they thought it was instantly going to. Have you? What are some things that you kind of when you look at bands like? I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in bands or they're thinking about A&R or working in the biz. What are those sort of things you look out for? Mm-hmm. I have some things that I look out for. One is, you know, they actually have their shit together online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's updated. Their website's great. Their D2C, whatever, everything all mm-hmm. makes out. I'm like, okay, they got it there. But I think basics, as always, basics are important, especially for the stuff we're doing. It's uh, you got to have a social media presence. You have to have a a look that makes sense. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be fully refined, but you have to at least be trying to look like something. But what you just said is actually important. I want to work with people that are going to work that are going to be. They think they're going to be famous. That's that's actually an important part of it like they need to to feel that like i don't want to promote or do social that's over with yeah yes you can do that if you're a certain level but not not for (laughs) punk stuff i feel like you need to have some 
some you angle. You have to have some message. There's got to be a storyline. Because what we were just talking about, that idea that you need to mean something for someone, like that we're trying to have something about what you're doing mean something in our lives, be part of our conversation. Well, you need to further that conversation. doesn't mean you need to be a politician or a demagogue or something <laughs> like this, but you do need to mean something. You need to have whatever that thing is that you believe. You need to put that out on show, and you need to be larger than life about it. Um, because whatever it is, because we have bands say, I'm just a regular guy. And I'm like, that's great, but you need to be the largest regular guy I've ever met. Like you need, when someone asks you that question, be like, if you're not a regular guy, I don't fucking trust you. You know I mean? That's, that's what sometimes about art is about, you know, and this is art we're making and we are making a statement. If you believe that you should be wearing just ripped jeans and a flannel and a t-shirt and that's your style and you're going to make music in the basement, then be loud and proud about it. Cause we need to know that you think you can be the biggest and most successful and loudest regular guy. Yeah. Cause that's okay. You know, you read a lot of these bios and you ask a lot of questions like, what is your statement? What is your purpose? And I, it seems to be a challenging question for a lot of artists because it was, well, I just wanted to make music. And I agree, that's a good reason to start. But at some point we need to, I believe we need to speak something because people are listening and they want, they, they want to feel something. You know, because there's music I love that doesn't have a message and it's there. And I think there are enough music people out there to enjoy that, you know. But I think if we're talking about speaking to a larger group of people, we need to stand for something. And I, I do believe that's that's the that's the one last piece of the art that's left before it becomes commerce, is that you get to be something for someone, and you need to speak that. And so when I'm looking... And I'm, that gets to be a, a wider audience. You get your message to more people. Yes. And that message can be as simple as, I'm, I've had a damaging youth, or I had a tough time growing up, and that's led me to see the world in X light, you know? And I, I mean, per, for example, Michael from Somos, yeah. you know, was battling with... Uh, mental issues mm-hmm. and I think him bringing that up had people think about it in a different way or maybe they spoke up to their parent or their guidance counselor or they counselor, just felt like they had or someone or they just they had someone yes yeah because a lot of times we don't speaking it out like for me I'll speak from my personal insight like when I look at art or photography and uh, and or music and, and I do a lot it's it has I don't need it to help me have a conversation with someone. I need to feel like I'm not alone. You know, and that's and that's what I say about messages that we need to create something that allows people to feel like they're not alone. And I and I believe that's what art's there for. And that this is what books are for. This is what uh, movies are for. I mean, all of these have a sense to make us feel like I'm not the only one thinking this. You know, and at the same time, it's supposed to draw us as a culture, as a civilization, somewhere. You know, collectively, mm-hmm. um, and so when I'm looking for an artist, I want them to say something to me. I want, and that's why if you have a look, if you have a feel, if you have a filter, whatever you're going to call it, you know, if you're speaking to certain friends in a community, all of that adds up to you bringing a message that people just instinctively want to be a part of, and that's what we're looking for. All of the basics uh, are part of that, but you need to have that meaning inside there. And sometimes that meaning can be as simple as that we're out as best friends, going to have a party, and we're going to just tell fart jokes on stage. Sounds crass. It sounds uh, uh, juvenile. But to some people, they just want to feel it's light and airy and good out there. And that's still art. That's still mm-hmm. a message. But it's got to be believed, and it's got to right, be It doesn't lived. need to be serious. Because being a musician is harder than being... Uh, I, I believe this. Sometimes photographers, painters, I'm probably going to burn for this, but painters, artists, you know, actors, like, they do it for a moment. But musicians have to live it all the time. You know, you are the and person you, you are on stage all 24 hours a day. And you only get that 45 minutes or hour, whatever your set time mm-hmm. is, and then the other 23 hours mm-hmm. 
is figuring out what to eat, calling somebody back, charging yeah. your car, your girlfriend, yeah. and it's interviews. And yeah. but you have to put on that same air. Most times, if you're in a public setting, that you mm-hmm. did on stage, absolutely. And it's and if you flub up once, or you know, mm-hmm. you get now with social, it's yeah, one it's mess constant. up, one stupid thing at a show yeah. can turn into because everybody wants the controversy. It's hard. I get it. It's hard, and I think that. But it, to answer your question, I think that I'm looking for that person who's going to take those chances, you know, and I think that's going to help them. And, and again, in the beginning, we have to trust that we're, if I'm seeing an artist, you know, we're getting into business with them or signing them or being a part of that art because we feel that's going to get to that place. You know, we feel that there's a message there that's going to connect. And, and, and always our goal is to have the bands get as big as they can be, you know, because not every band is, is a multi-platinum seller. Some bands are a couple thousand units, units. That doesn't even matter anymore. Uh, you know, we'll just say a couple thousand albums, and that's. But culturally, they're they're giants, and that's important. You know, and I think that that's important for what we do. You know, we're 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 cultivating that. So, so, I guess since we're talking about the A and R part of it, that the A and R job sort of snuck up on me. At yeah. The label because I wasn't. I think I just was. I was booking some of the bands, getting to know the managers, and they were looking for someone to pitch to, and they started pitching to me bands, and I would listen, and, and it started with, oh, I just want to make sure that my friend who's a manager, his band gets heard, or I, or I heard about this band, or this one's buzzing, and I just started annoying the staff with bands. I mean, that's how it starts. I started annoying everyone and say, you don't know best, you know, please don't talk about that, and, and for good intention, because it's, I was just exuberant about the label. I was excited because I could, like you said, build my own pathway and I was still doing take action tour and I was handling some of our merch uh, at that time and I was handling our sponsorship and I was handling our international business and I was handling our sales and See, our I said earlier about sales. the six jobs yeah I was doing a lot you know and I think that <laughs> but you were learning so many different things that helped when that manager came to you yeah. and said and pitched a band and had a question you knew yeah you knew the international answer you knew or at least I wanted to, and, and as, as I've been told by some of my um, amazingly supportive co-workers, like, you say too much, and <laughs> you promise a little too much, and I think I was so excited to just make everybody like the label and like us, and I, like I said, it wasn't, I've been learning for a long time, you know. I, yeah, we'll get you a bus, we're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> close, probably. Uh, I think if you had to ask Lewis, he'd be like, yeah, he, he just said shit, stuff was just coming out of his mouth all the time, and I, you know, that's just who I was, I was excited, and I, you know, that's why I say, like, Lewis is a great mentor, and I had, you know, people like Aaron, and, and, and you know, past employees like melissa and brian and ian who've really been so successful and being like calm down man you know like you know we love you you know you bring a lot but slow down you know and i i think that's been incredible because we have to rely on our co-workers and our colleagues to be the best that we are and i i, I have a hell of a lot of flaws and uh, but I, I i think some of those have been great for the company and some of them have probably been the most annoying things ever and um you know my role now is vp of business development in anr i've i've most of my job is A&R now, you know, where in the early days it was just, it was very small, but it grew into that. And that's everything from helping with the producers and or writing if it's necessary or a live show. We've had bands in rehearsal spaces and just talking philosoph- you know, philosophically like this, like what is your story and how do you grow that? How do you become the biggest person you can be for someone else? I spend more time on that, you know. I'm still involved, obviously, in the international, you know, with our with our uh, team members in those territories. Uh, I'm involved with some of our investments at the label and as well as overseeing, you know, big picture. Um, but my job has morphed into that over time. As I was telling you earlier, it almost feels strange not to have to just knock things down. You know, I'm still involved in sales, um, but we have Matt in the office now who's handling quite a bit of it. Um, but you know, those early days of working on sales, coming up with systems for those sales, working with our CFO on how best to deal with the 
budgeting that goes with those sales, the P&Ling, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our profit and loss sheets, our planning documents, how to build a shareable system. Because when you have 16 people that are outside of the U.S. office, how do we deal with them every day? How do they have a system they can get what they need? How do we deal with the shipping on that? And um, we spent years working on that and trying digging over every rock for opportunities to make the most for every artist that we have, you know, and, um, and that's led to who we are now. And I think that about four years ago, we finally sat down and said, we really do need a, an A&R strategy to, to grow. And I think we've had a really amazing time with that. Obviously, developing artists are, are still what we do. It's hugely important. Um, but we've also been able to work with um, artists that have had incredible careers that are um, looking for homes where they can feel supported while they continue their sort of growing their brand. And that's why we got into everything from Yellow Card to Bayside, Taking Back Sunday, Silverstein, uh, The Used. Um, and that's been incredible because we've learned so much working both with those artists who have done it for many years and their managers, which has brought us a lot for our younger artists. And has brought a lot culturally to the label no, 100%, as well. 100% because you're learning the use is bringing a different experience because of where they were mm-hmm. or taking back. So any of those examples, they're bringing different things. And they are. help those younger bands look and they're mm-hmm. going to learn from that. And I think for us too, like we bring a lot, hopefully the, the, the artists feel this way, we bring a lot to them from that sort of developing standpoint because we've always based our business on developing and scratching for fans and growing that message and I think that we've been able to bring that back and and we've been very lucky to have almost all the artists I mentioned uh, grow chart wise or have top 10 debuts and uh, post uh, what felt like maybe stalemates or or declines on their major label uh, releases and um, that's been lovely a a good point too about finding the right home people might think oh i want to go here and i want to go there i think it's really finding when you have those conversations Mm -hmm. and i think you probably have a lot of those Mm -hmm. with those artists but you guys got to have to be on the same page and i think bands sometimes they think one thing Mm -hmm. and i'm going to do this label because of this and i don't know trends could change or times could change or a person leaves the label and like all these things can happen anywhere i just think of taking that minute to not think about the name of the label Mm -hmm. but more of who's there and Mm -hmm. who gets you and who when you call them again some Mm -hmm. band calls you at 2am and has this crazy question you're hopefully going to pick up yeah yeah and I you know, I whatever the example is. Uh, correct. And I, I think with any, you know, business, like there's going to be no's sometimes. And I think learning that, you know, we've had to say no on things and, and, and there's sometimes we want it, uh, something and the band's going to say no. And I, I've always said that when we're signing bands that the most important thing is that it's a good relationship because often with relationships, there's disagreement and there's our experience feels one thing and your gut tells you another and vice versa. And we have to come to that, that great compromise on where this project is going to go based on the available money to do that because we always have to go back that it is creative but it is a business and you know everyone who works at the label they want this to be their career in their life and that means there's got to be raises and brand Mm -hmm. new used cars and uh two-ply toilet paper (laughs) in the office you know yeah you know i mean all the things (laughs) that we dream of as middle-class people you know and uh I think it's important because sometimes that gets lost because it's like us versus them or them versus us. And it's not that way. It's just finding the best way to make the most and have this grow because no matter what size the label, what size the artist, there's, there will be constraints, you know, sometimes. And, and, and a lot of that, more than money or anything, is just time. I mean, we, we're all people. We have limited time to get the, we have to We have to figure out together the most impactful things to get the most out of the opportunities or the best opportunities we need to spend the time on those. Um, that's hard. That takes a lot of conversation. 
It takes great systems. It's one of the things we talk about all the time at, at the label when we do our quarterly and end of year meetings is that the better the system, the more time we can spend on the creative. And it's something you don't hear a lot about when you're talking about the glamour of working in music is that there are more Excel grids and QuickBooks oh yeah. and, uh, you know, FileMaker pros from ancient times and databases and party invites. Like, if you don't have great systems, you're stuck dealing with that. I mean, you hear horror stories about royalties all the time. It's just because royalties are hard. When you think about a YouTube statement coming in that is 50,000 lines long that has to be split out against 32 different deals... That's writers. a lot for a person to do yeah. in Excel. Like we have accountants in the office cleaning up data and putting it in data warehouses. It goes into a system with another guy who has to spit it out. It has to be all be reviewed. That takes doing royalties for for Al takes him months. You know, and these are things. These aren't glamorous, but these are. You know, you're right. Those things are, have to be there. They have to be there for the artist. And like the money that we're making has to reinvest in that overhead. And I think a lot of times when we're speaking of deals with bands, it's as much money as possible. But I always say, well, look at the staff. You know, if I was managing a band, I would the first thing I would look at is what are their systems like. What's the reputation of their staff? Uh, how much time are they going to spend on this? Because I would, you know, and I'm not a manager, so I'm biased as hell. I would take a 20% reduction in, you know, a deal to make sure I was working with people that, A, knew what they were doing, ran a good business, and believed what I believed versus double the money, you know. And, and, and everyone makes decisions for different reasons. There's not a judgment on the... Uh, I think the, those three yeah. things you said are really important, though, that the, yeah. the being able to look at something and understand that those guys are going to work for you and yeah. ask and ask those right questions yeah and or at least have the conversation and be honest about it and you know i you know from our standpoint i think we we're we're fair with the artists but i'm sure there's you know you can't please everybody you know and i know that we've we've tried our best we've had some amazing successes and some some what i feel are, are, are emotional losses as well and um, i think it's fair to say that even when i've told bands when we sign them we say you know yeah here's all the wins but you know we've had some losses too so if you see them please bring them up i'll stand for those problems or call another one of the bands i mean bands love to talk shit call one of them and get the background and then call me back and ask me why they said that you know let's let's get into the the real talk but then also i think showing those mistakes also show that you learned from that you're like hey yeah, this whole thing about this, we went to UK and we did this, this, and this. We learned that next time you do X. And it's those things are helpful because if yeah. you just, I don't know, I feel like I like, I like making mistakes at working yes. at a label because, yeah. okay, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, you need that. And that's what I think that, that's partially why I'm, I'm you know, I, I feel some pride about being at the label for 11 years. I've, I've had the opportunity to make some tragically large mistakes and had some wonderfully large wins and um, we've done that as a team and i think that that's incredible and it's and it's hard sometimes it's hard to express that to any artist or manager like it's come meet the team to, yeah like yeah. and they're like yeah but there's all sorts of reasons why people don't sign to a label but uh and i'm never mad like i think you know and again this is, could be up for debate but i i think in the bands that we have not signed i feel just as close with and i i feel some need to help them out when i can or host them or you know because i don't see this as hopeless records versus everyone else i see this as but, one large community but you're gonna go on tour with them at some point yes of course if and you didn't if you didn't take if you didn't sign taking back sunday you know that at some point your band is going to go on the road with them but even more than like getting a tour it's that if i was trying to sign it i really believed in it like and, and again it goes back to what i said earlier i believe in what they do. I believe in that art that they're creating. I believe it's going to be successful both in that philosophical sense and that financial success. So it's it's really not about, you know, tit for tat. It's it's more about I'm happy I get to know you. Let's make sure we hang out when you're in town or let's let's share a text on your birthday or whatever else it is because I'm I'm excited to know someone like this. I still there's a little teenager inside me that that's fanboying and every oh, single totally. time and I 
And I think that sort of propels the way that I am around those uh, those relationships. What would, what, what would you tell um, someone that's out there that's like I, either they're a band or they want to work in music? Because I think that point about the royalties person, you could work at a label. Mm-hmm. Start If you know accounting... Mm-hmm. There's yeah. plenty of gigs. Yeah, yeah, if, there's, if you're that's graphic true. design or there's these things that I think it's, I, most emails I get are, I want to sign bands. And yeah, I keep, that's glamorous. And I keep telling them, I'm like, marketing, mm-hmm. royalties, mm-hmm. Uh, design. I'm like, yeah. start there. And then again, like you, you brought a band and said, hey, I'm doing this other thing, but I just heard about this other thing. And you, I just think that's the somehow an easier way to get in versus going mm-hmm. in as an A&R guy and that's all you've got there's no A&R jobs it's, it's everyone yeah. does it yeah yeah everyone is even in my meetings at my job down right now everybody is responsible for talking about a release mm-hmm. or oh an artist just came out of their deal what a, everyone's responsible yeah yeah it's true and I think that you know you're going to school and I do think that there's going to be more and more business related jobs in music because one I mean the, the you know the new economy of, of streaming is this is not easy like physical records that can't be counted sometimes and like to, to know that like how to do accounting or or how to run a business or how to do structure uh, is so important you know yes marketing is important I mean marketing a lot of times especially when you're getting into volume of artists is just managing client relations clients being your artists being your managers and helping them because they have questions they need to know and you need to be there to to, to successfully answer that and you can be good at that then you can offer something to an artist to bring them the peace of mind at the basic level that, that their career is moving forward because success is elusive and success is defined differently by everyone but at the basics you have to be able to say here's the structure that works so that you can feel good about where you're going because some artists are young and they live with their families you know and they don't have a lot of responsibility but at some point you time just keeps marching forward in your marriage of kids you have a girlfriend you want to get an apartment or a car you want normal stuff mm-hmm. and normal stuff requires a, a normal economic balance and you want to feel the comfort that you have the structure to get there and i think that if someone you know, if you want to be an art, love music that's all i mean if you already love it and listen and ask questions this is all the normal stuff you read in your any seminar on working in music but get yourself a good background and structure business structure business communications business management accounting uh any of that is important you know and you can get that in your your part-time job and i think we've said before the goal shouldn't be to be an A&R person the goal should be is to do amazing at whatever you're doing you know i think that I really do think back to that Starbucks job, which I was so depressed to take. It was the only job I had no money left when I came to California. You know, it was cash jobs I had before. And the only job I could get was at Starbucks. And yes, emotionally not great, happy about it. But, you know, I wanted to work hard. Showed up 15 minutes early, left 15 minutes late, learned all the customers' names, asked my manager, how does this work? You know, when the district came in, I was, you know, I was interested to meet him and ask what he did. You know, I'm sure he was annoyed when I was asking him what he was doing and why this works this way and what the structure is. And I read the employee manual because it was interesting that someone sat down and wrote that whole thing and, you know, read online and got into their stock investment plan and understood their health care. And, you know, before I left, I was offered an assistant manager position. And because the goal wasn't to not work at Starbucks. The goal was to just hey, I'm here. I'm going to make the most of this. I'm present here. That system of what, how things work, I mean, that's, that's a huge operation. If you, it, it they is. could be doing anything. 
It is. And you can be, you know, you can be an incredibly successful coffee man or woman. You know, it, it just, it depends on that personality. I think that sometimes, especially the way that, you know, this is maybe a personal political gripe, but I believe that when high school and in college, like you must pick what you're going to do and you got to work towards it. And I, I think it's... Yeah, you had that class where you're like, this, what, based on these parameters, yeah. this is what you're supposed to do. And it's, it's interesting because I think that it's lost a little bit of that entrepreneurial sense that if you're not going to be a factory worker, then you just need to do a great job. You know, you need to show up and do an incredible job and you can be that person anywhere. And if that's the goal, then other opportunities will come if you're always asking questions and, and, you know, there's points where you might be annoying and hopefully have good people that will tell you, dude, stop, (laughs) you know, and, and I've been really thankful to have some of those people in my life and, and then conduct yourself as someone who believes that you have 40 or 50 years to become a great person, not a great A&R man or woman. You can become a great person by working hard and caring about the people around you and asking great questions and being there. And, and the goal should be, I want to be a great human and I'm going to do a great job wherever I am. And if it happens to be in music and you work hard for that, have humility and just take it slow. You know, I think that there are uh, many different ways to do it, but that's the way that I've chosen to do it. And I love this job. I really do. I, like I said, I've been there 11 years. What it's, do you want to do next? know what I want to do next. I want to continue to do this. I mean, I've been, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I, I, um, I love photography. I've been doing that quite a bit lately. I think that is, I've had such a great pleasure to travel for work. You know, I mean, I travel a lot for work. And so I've been using my 5am to 9am time periods to go out and shoot things, or if I have to drive somewhere shooting along the way. And I think that's been, uh, an incredible for me, you know, on a expression level. Cause I, I do believe that, that, that art is a way to express what you're feeling. Um, but other than that, I just want to, I want to read and, um, watch a fair amount of TV. And I don't think that's a career choice. Though. No, I don't think that's a I career. I mean, I, I, maybe I could get paid for that, but I, I don't know. If you know how, let me know. I always uh, say it's, I always try to do things opposite of music. I try and like, if it's English soccer on mm-hmm. weekends or, uh, you know, video games mm-hmm. or you're right, a TV show or something like something yeah. where you aren't. You know, of course, when music pops up, you're like, oh, I know that music supervisor and uh, blah, blah, blah. Like your mind, you know, kind of does that when you do things, but hopefully you find things that aren't. No, it's, I mean, listen, music is my, you know, music as in the whole concept. It's great that it permeates everything. It's everything. And it's, and and I, I don't mean in the general sense, like the, the community that I work in that sort of alternative press, warp tour, all of that, 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 that is the community I've always been in. And that does surround and permeate every part of my life. So a lot of when I'm sharing that book I read or this idea or my political view or this art, it's going to be with someone in that general vicinity. I've, I've maybe been lucky or unlucky to be in with a lot of like-minded people. I don't often up, come up against, you know, unless I'm maybe going back into my hometown, hitting, uh, hitting walls with ideas, liberal ideas and concepts, you know. Um, but, you know, I want to continue this. Like, I love this, you know, and I think that we're going to have amazing years coming up, you know, and I think there's incredible artists coming up every day that I want to be a part of that life. And if I can do the photography as a hobby that's on the side, great. You know, uh, I want to be healthy and I want to be continue to work on the, the charitable things that we do. Um, that seems fine. You know, like I, and that might sound like, man, that guy's got no real goals, but uh, I, I, everything has exceeded my expectations so far. So I just would like to patiently be a part of that you know and continue to things are going to happen based on what you're when you're in things you love and you meet people 
the same way things happen or opportunities come about. Yeah. It's the yeah. next band. It's the next opportunity. It does, yeah. It doesn't mean I'm not motivated or ambitious, but I, I think that, that that comes with wanting to be you know, the best I can be at the label, and I want the label to be the best it can be. So um, I don't know if that answers all the questions. Did we have questions? I think I just I just wanted rambled. to know about you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Sorry, no, everyone. A, no, I will say, I mean, the, you know, the there were a few people that I've met over the years that it's like they your name comes up a lot and sometimes that's a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing true but for you it was something that um, I I felt we were similar in that staying in touch with people finding those you know random things to say hi or that was something that you did um, that I loved because that's kind of part of why I got into it too Um, because those relationships. Um, so I think, I think you're going about it the right way and I hope other people do. Um, and I think hopeless, um, again, for all the charitable things that they're doing, it's, it's a, it's a different music is, yes, we take things from it, but there's this deeper thing to it that Mm -hmm. can affect a lot more people. Yeah. And I think you guys are hopeless is definitely doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an incredible journey. So, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, we just had a Yellow Card record come out. Please do. Which yes. is incredible. Please it's promote. Their, their last record, uh, unfortunately. Why, why did they say that? Uh, I, you know... Because it's my thing. Mm-hmm. No band breaks up. Yeah, I guess you never really break up. But I think for the band, I mean, I don't want to speak for them. And there's plenty of interviews out there to read. I, I think the band, uh, you know, maybe felt like it was time to explore new options in that way. I don't think they'll ever leave Yellow Card behind. I mean, what an incredible legacy. You know, we've had it such a pleasure and, and, and to, to work with them incredible people um, you know I think it was just time for that next chapter in their life you know and I think that, that you know I can only speculate that in some ways it was you know we've had such a good run maybe if we're feeling that we don't want to have that be degenerative in some ways and I think they've made an an unbelievably poignant record for this this last chapter. So um, I recommend reading as many interviews that comes from their voice and not from mine because I don't want to put words in their mouth. I I just uh, I feel an incredible amount of gratitude that we get to be a part of this last record. We did two records previous. Uh, they had been on you know Capital for three records that came back from a hiatus. Did two with us, went to Razor and Tie and came back. And w- again, just just an incredible level of gratitude to be able to work right. on that record. Um, a week before that, we had the Taking Back Sunday record come out. They were just I just saw them on Friday. I mean, I've been friends with these guys for too many years, and uh, uh, I, I can't believe how great this record is. You know, and, and I know that yeah, that's the work thing. at the label. I feel it's it, I, I'm biased, I suppose, but I think the band took great steps. They're they're one of the just greatest rock and roll bands out there. Here's the know? thing, the guys, and I talked about this. I they put out the record. I heard it ahead of time. You guys were gracious enough to send it. I was like, this is a leap for them. Mm-hmm. And this is a leap for their fans. And I hope that they would take this leap with them um, because they had such a huge first part of their career mm-hmm. and that moment in mm-hmm. time where it was on MTV, yeah. on the radio, crazy tours. What I loved is that they still did it. They yeah. went and made this record that they wanted to, and they played it front to back on mm-hmm. this tour, which I think they they should, because as a fan, I actually was really excited about that because yeah. I've heard all the other songs a bunch. Yes, there could have been someone in the crowd that said, I've never heard Cube Without the E before, and I want to hear it live. Don't worry. They'll play yeah. it. <laughs> but they're going to play that new record, mm-hmm. and for them to do that, um, I hope that 
they still do that. Um, And I hope that the fans are going to show up because, you know, I got a lot of backlash for supporting the new record. Hmm. And I had some people write and say, why are you saying these things? You know, I'm like, if you're just going to stay and listen to that one record, the band's not going to be around. I want that band. I want Taking Back Sunday to come around in 10 years. Yeah. I want them to, I want you to come to New York again so we can hang out and go to the show. (laughs) Still hear Q without the E, but then I want 10 Mm -hmm. years more of songs and things. Go take that ride with that band. Um, And, but this band, a lot of bands from that era, Tobin, I think got stuck and constantly trying... I mean, how many interviews did he have to say not about emo? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that... And again, I, I always say this. I, I, did I, don't wanna, to, I had to say emo in the podcast because we did, hadn't yet. Of course. I feel emo today because my my cold. I'm pulling a Trump on this interview. <laughs> He's actually 20 minutes or 20 yards away from me. You actually, I'm... I'm we're that's talking what the to depression is. Yeah, that's what the depression... <laughs> I can feel his aura near me. I guess we just shared my political views. Um, so, you know, I don't want to put words. Uh, I don't want to assume that I know what's in every artist's head. You generally. Know, but, I, but generally speaking, I think that TBS appreciates every fan. I mean, obviously. Yes. You know, and they and th- they made that music, and that was near and dear to them. And they play like, God damn, they play it so well. You know, and I've seen Taking Back Sunday. It's got to be approaching 50-plus well more. I did a whole summer on Warped Tour with them once. So I think that, I think that, they're making the music that means the most to them and I think that that's important as an artist like we talked about earlier they need to make the music that's meaningful to them and they need to share that because that's their message are there going to be a certain amount of fans that are new and some that have been along for the ride or old fans that are coming back that might have a commentary on it Taking Back Sunday is a giant artist with a giant brand there's going to be a commentary whether people have listened to the goddamn thing or not that just comes with the territory of it. The band understands that. But that doesn't mean they're going to they're going to make what they believe is is best for them artistically, where they want to go, where they want to be. I guess that, aside from taking back Sunday, not to interrupt you, yeah. but I did. <laughs> Generally, yes. not specifically to that band. Very you apropos as for a, Trump, actually. Yes, go. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a la- as a as a label in that scene, and I worked at two of them you have a constant struggle where you're trying to get people to listen to you. I had places where you're only a hardcore label. I'm mm-hmm. not going to take your call. Oh, yeah, you're only this kind of label. <laughs> I'm not going to take your call. Yeah. So when you're trying to get those breaks mm-hmm. for a record that I think is more advanced mm-hmm. yeah. and actually should be bigger, you have this like strike because yeah. of the label. And it's like, it's, I've, I feel those struggles, and I think you yeah. guys probably have some we, of those. We but do. It's it's funny because we make this joke. Like when I first started the label, we were a metal label because we had Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah, yeah. And so, so right, every so time the label. phone rings, being equal equal vision, Bane. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was like, "We well, just signed you're this a hard sound like Bane." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, but but now we're now we're the pop punk label. Yes. You know, even though we have a very eclectic roster, and we just picked up Siler, which is a queen. They're a local here. They're a Queens artist, and they're 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 heavy. I mean, it's and it's. You know, and I think people are surprised. Why would you sign that? Like, why wouldn't I? Look at my history. It's music. You know? you know, Somos is is way... Uh, indie rock. Indie rock. And it is really going to sit at a riot fest. And, and, you know, and I think even they get questions like, why'd you sign a Hopeless? It's like, we're, we're a label that believes in artists and can grow them within the framework of the fans that, that, that exist. Um, but it's, some labels get that pass. You know, well, like, yeah. a, like, like a sub pop or mm-hmm. a... Uh, just for, trying to think of like, just... It gets that. Mm-hmm. There's that certain period or time that people remember and for somehow it's general but for you guys it you're right it went from metal now it's pop punk mm-hmm. it, 
I just sometimes I just get frustrated wanting yeah. a band that made a great record sometimes gets hindered by the mainstream press because it's just going to be they're locked in they're They're locked locked in in. i think you know in the tbs you know realm there's a lot of people that that want to only speak of this old record and i think that it's you know again i'm not in you know the tbs guy's shoes when the interview gets there but you know we have to do our best to help these interviewers and everyone know that you know this is a living breathing entity that is still making incredible records and art and has a message and of course they're not hiding from their past but at the same time we want to speak about the things that are happening now and coming up and uh it's always going to be a challenge there's really not an answer to it especially when you're getting into people who are uh you know fans of that like it defined their lives and they only want to talk about it because that's that's the fan in them you know and it's not it's not wrong but but it is challenging you know it is challenging it's challenging for our marketing team it's it's challenging for the band and i i my hope at least on this is that through the course of the 18 months that we're working on this campaign that people really sit down to this record and it's an incredible record and i think that the band has really kind of gotten to this this amazing pinnacle of being an immense rock band i mean when you see that show you know i don't sit down and like wow what a great emo show i mean it's it's not no it's a rock show adam my brother came out to the show and he's you know he's not a part of this and he was sitting there with me, he leaned down on my ear, and he said, God, that guy is a fucking rock and roll giant, huh? And I said, yeah, he is. I mean, like, to my brother, you know, who has, you know, obviously seen TBS in the past through me, but never been imbued in that that, that sense of the scene, so to speak, he was just impressed at, at this incredible show. Yeah. You know, and I think that's... I think sometimes it gets pulled down by this 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 rhetoric, this previous rhetoric, and, and, it, and it can't... It can't go away. It's part of the, the history, but there is this new, amazing, incredible record in this band that is that is evolving and changing and growing. And they're in different places in their lives than they were then. And everything I said during this podcast still reigns true. Like they are still putting out a message for those people who need that to be a part of their life. And we just want people to be a part of that. And people get really lost in this having an opinion on is it like the old stuff or the new stuff, which is the wrong question to be asking i mean i know the the rank your records things and i mean jimmy Eat world has a new record coming the same day as taking back sunday yeah, yeah um and i love i love their new record and i just love again it's evolving you hear pieces of old things which you're supposed to it's the same yeah. and it's the same guys yes. you're hearing pieces of things but for me to know that they we're together enough to make new music and be yeah. happy to do still do it means that you get to hear cute without the e again you but do. i just hope to god you spend a little time i would hope you spend more time with it because in a lot of ways you, you know there's and maybe this is more philosophically and i'm not putting words into any of my artist mouths but i i do think that tbs guys have gone from you know young 19 20 year olds in a band to fathers you know uh brothers uh, you know that have grown up have homes like there's something in that music that when you look into those lyrics and you're reading it and and there's something to be felt and there's there's an idea even as even as a younger fan you can say what does that mean you know when i get to this place in my life what will i be thinking what will i be feeling and this is again this is there's there's a message in this art that that's there and i think that we spend so much time talking about eras and feelings and when it happened and versus 
what are we supposed to take away from a piece of art or a message or a piece of writing, you know, that, that it's supposed to affect us and where we're headed to. And, and I, that's what I really hope people are taking away from it. And I realize there's going to be a certain amount of people that won't. They won't even open themselves up to that idea because they're there really because they just heard about Taking Back Sunday and they know that it was such a seminal part of like a, a time period like you had mentioned. And, and I think that's where the band does appreciate that person being there. And, and hopefully they'll step into the full breadth of their catalog. And there'll be some people like, it's not like the old stuff. And that's fine, too. Like, their voice matters, and the conversation is what keeps it all alive anyways. You know, we're not saying no to anyone. A lot of this is, you know, I'm speaking personally and candidly. Uh, so I don't even know if that answers the question. It does. I think, I think again, we're not putting the words in the mouth. I just, I, I struggle with trying to find ways to get people that are in it, were in it for a few years, and then left and trying to get them back to understand that that's the same band mm-hmm. that you like. It could be any band. We're talking about one because they have a record coming out, but it yeah. could be any of that eras, and it could be any era. Like, yeah. you just... Uh, maybe it's... We're super nerds on music, and yeah. and a certain person only has so much time. Remember, it was only how much CD rack space you had? Yeah, I like, know. I only got space for 10 or 20. Yeah. Now it's unlimited. So it's even harder. It is, and it... And it's, and it we have to look at this more. I mean, a lot of times at Hopeless, we're saying we're, we're really doing brand building in some ways, you know, and, and, exactly. and, and, uh, and that means there's an album coming out that's important because that's part of the era and the story that we're building. And that, that takes more work. It's actually harder. Like it's that knocking it down. Like I got the space and we've got the end cap and we're done. You know, now it's okay. Well, what is that story we're putting out there and what is the touring and what is this interesting concepts? And, um, I actually like it better. It like is better. more fun because there's yeah. less gatekeepers. There We're are not less relying gatekeepers. on the end cap at Best Buy, which uh, people Best Buy or Circuit City, the, the CDs at the end yeah. of aisles, that's paid for. It is paid for. Should we just dish on all the stuff you have to pay for that people no, don't know? No, I think someone will come burn my house down. I like my house. <laughs> all right, I'll have a new podcast with someone that wants to talk about this. <laughs> we'll talk about everything that you think is just happens to be there is all paid for. It is. I, no, I... I <laughs> Going broke on end caps. Uh, I see that line in your royalties, right? Um, I think that I I really do think that um, I like it better because it's harder, and you do have to sit and talk about like what is that next thing? What is that story you're creating? And um, you know, and, and I, I don't want to say this is just specific to Taking Back Sunday. I think this is this is for each of our young artists who have yet to make that one piece that's going to be defining and them. to build on and I think and, and the nice thing is I want to tell them how are you going to be able to have that conversation from the first day to the end and then at the same time we have other artists in the same position where they're making some of their best art right now and how do we have that conversation and continue to grow that and um, yeah I, I think I'm very lucky to have those challenging conversations in that way so it's good and so that Taking Back Sunday record is out. Tidal Wave is incredible. Yellow Card self-title is out. It came out on Friday. And then this, um, on October 7th, we'll have, which is right around the corner, we're going to have Sum 41, uh, 13 Voices coming out, which I'm very excited about. We're actually in town uh, to see. They're, they're performing on The Late Show tonight with Stephen Colbert, or for Stephen Colbert. I'm excited. And, um, uh, and then we'll finish off the year with Trophy Eyes, which is... Uh, Who's that? I have they no are a young Australian... Um, I, I don't want to call them emo band. That is a terrible thing, maybe to say on an emo show, right? Emo, emo, emo. No, it's fine. I'm joking. Uh, there tro- is a quota. There's. A qu- <laughs> I hope I just got them all in that one little stretch. Uh, trophy eyes. I mean, uh, God, talk about lyrics that are that 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 
that just demolish you sometimes. John Floriani, who sings and writes these lyrics, I mean, is incredible. I mean, I, he knows this. I mean, he's going to listen someday. He knows how much I feel his lyrics, and uh, he's just he's incredibly insightful for where he's at in, in his life, you know, and, and uh, they've made this, this last record was very hardcore influenced. This new record uh, has a lot more sort of alternative nineties and almost basement influence to it. And I think I love it because John has a side project called little brother that, you know, maybe not known well yet, but he has an incredible voice and the band really made this, this, this sort of record that, that pulls on who they were, but becomes something wonderfully new. And I, um, they are out right now with Amity Affliction, but uh, I, you know, I don't know what else to say besides that. It, it, once you hear this record and you listen through those lyrics, and there's a couple, we have three videos up online now. I, I, uh, I, I think John is is a uh, a monster of feeling, and I, and I think that it's uh, I, I think that one's going to grow over time. It's cool. one that gets accepted, not in that sort of like it's on the radio or like wow, it's. I think people are going to slowly fall in love with this record and it's going to be repeated and repeated, you know, and I think I feel that, you know, the way that Moose Blood has been for people, trophy eyes will be. And uh, I think that that's, um, I'm looking forward to that, you know, so that's nice. That's a developer from us. They're, they're doing great. They're from Australia again. So, you know, we, we work with a lot of international bands. So, and you know, we've had some other great releases this year, including Siler, who I mentioned, who are doing wonderful Uh, Moose Blood, which came out this year. Yeah. That, that record is, Top to bottom, unbelievable, and uh, we're going to see a lot more of them uh, here. There's so much great new music. That's uh, yeah. Uh, again, and I thought it was dead. Um, actually, it, it independent never, music. Yeah, it never, no, it never that, is. But that at, yeah. let's, the mid 2000s was yeah, a little yeah. rough for me. A little rough, yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot of buyouts and uh, and upstreams. Yes, yeah. A lot of buyouts and upstreams. That that's a good way of putting mm-hmm. it. But then there's just this great resurgence of. You're right. They're referencing the 90s, or they're yeah. referencing even the the 2000s but it's in this it's i just love seeing it from someone that's not oblivious but just new at it yeah and it's fun to see the interpretations no it is and i think that you know we've had we've just had this pleasure to work with some unbelievably amazing artists you know both on the label and the ones that we've you know tried to sign or (laughs) stayed at the house or have or have toured with our bands and i i'm i'm always optimistic because there's a way to run that business and everyone to be successful i think that we talk about this a lot like you know, if you can make your fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year and live in your hometown, you're the richest person you know. You know, you travel, you see the world. You know, if you're you're finding good personal relationships and they support you and they know when you're gone and they want to hear about it when you're back. And you know, we've said all the time, if you if you grow up in, you know. Brandon, Vermont, as we mentioned before, and that's where you come from, and you can go back there and live like a king on your living, doing what you love, do it. You know, you don't need to be selling out arenas to do that. You can be selling out House of Blues and making that money and having a wonderful life. You know, it's, um, I think redefining what success is for the artist is a good conversation to have. You know, we don't all need to be on covers of magazines. We need to, or the number of your YouTube views or those, those things. things. You, you, success can be rated again by the level of your relationships do you love yourself and do you love what you do and i think that's that's a conversation that is that is reasonable fair and should be had with every artist and every employee and and every entrepreneur um we don't have to be uh you know conquering every new territory you know this isn't rome 117 ad this is middle class life in america let's just go have the most beautiful life we can have and give back and i think that that can be spoken about with our artists who are making art at whatever level they're making it and go and live something beautiful and i think that that ties into the question on taking back sunday or yellow card any of it like we're, we're doing the things that make us feel best we hope and we we don't know if that's the right or wrong decision but we have to make it 
fully present. It's not a math equation. Yeah, it's not at all. And it changes every day. But uh, I think that's a good way to look at it. So, And I, I suck at math, so... Yeah, I'm God. fairly terrible at it, actually. <laughs> I thank God for Excel and calculators. What's uh, Excel? No, I'm just <sighs> Yikes. <laughs> if you need to know pivot tables, let me know. I can do pivot tables all day for you. Um, for those of you deep nerds on this podcast, call me if you want to talk about pivot tables. I do enjoy them deeply. Is that not a move in Tony Hawk Pro Skater? It is, yeah. The Tony Hawk pivot table. It's great. Yeah, you lay out all your numbers, and uh, you can. It's, it's a much refined way of looking at your kickflips. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Tobin. You're welcome, man. Thank you for this. I appreciate it. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, Welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.